Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. My guest today on the Beeson Podcast is Dr. Matthew Emerson. He is the Dickinson Assistant Professor of Religion at Oklahoma Baptist University. He has a Master of Divinity and a Ph.D. from Southeastern Seminary, but he has roots right here in Alabama. Aren't you from Huntsville? I am from Huntsville, and I went to Auburn University. You went to Auburn. That War, qualifies as War Eagle. There you go. Well, anyway, we're not talk, here to talk about football in Alabama. We're here to talk about something that you are involved with as one of the leaders of it called the Center for Baptist Renewal. This is a new phenomenon in Baptist life. I think you launched this about uh, two or three months ago, and uh, I, I have been invited kindly to be a fellow of your group, and because I so much resonated with what you're about, I agreed to do that. And so I want to talk about the Center for Baptist Renewal, what it is, how it came to be, how you came to be involved with it, and what you're up to. So can we begin just by saying, what is the Center for Baptist Renewal? Yeah, so the Center for Baptist Renewal is an attempt to provide local Baptist churches with resources that connect them with the larger Christian tradition, both in terms of understanding the doctrinal history of the church and then also the liturgical history. And so we want to help churches find ways that they can connect themselves to that larger Christian tradition and obviously doing so, keeping their Baptist identity fully intact as well. Um, and so that's that's our basic mission, our basic goal is to help those local churches connect themselves liturgically and doctrinally to the larger Christian tradition. Now, the term you have used, uh, you didn't invent this term, but you've given it a distinctive flair, I think, Baptist Catholicity. Now, that's a bad word for most Baptists, Catholicity, uh, and most people would assume immediately you're talking about the Roman Catholic Church or the Pope or the Blessed Virgin Mary or something like that. When you use the phrase Baptist Catholicity, how, what do you mean by it? Well, when we use the term Catholicity, uh, we don't mean Roman Catholic. So we're using the word Catholic in its older sense uh, to mean universal or worldwide. And so Catholicity, in this sense, is one of the four marks of the Church that's confessed in the Nicene Creed. We believe in one holy Catholic apostolic Church. And we just mean by that that uh, while the New Testament speaks of the Church in local terms, it also speaks to a universal Church, that there is one body of Christ. And so when we talk about the Church's Catholicity, we're basically saying we recognize, we acknowledge, we embrace that the Church is universal, it's worldwide, and it transcends space and time. And so when we when we say that it's a Baptist Catholicity that we're looking for, we're trying to demonstrate, proclaim, encourage a particular Baptist vision for the church, local churches, uh, within that worldwide Catholic church. And so we see ourselves, uh, we see Baptists as a renewal movement within Protestantism. And so what we want to do is we want to call uh, our local Baptist churches con- to continue to be faithful to Scripture, to continue to operate on their Baptist distinctives, but also to see how they can learn 
from that worldwide church of which they are part. And and you're doing this without sacrificing or compromising really Baptist distinctives. Is that right? Uh, they That's right. Think things like our commitment to religious liberty, to believers' baptism by immersion, to regenerate church membership, congregational polity, all of those things you affirm, the, the truthfulness of Scripture in every way. Uh, you, you believe all of that, right? Absolutely. We, we don't want uh, Baptist churches to compromise their Baptist distinctives. We fully affirm and, and are convictional about all the things you just mentioned. Uh, we want Baptist churches to continue to practice and only practice believers' baptism. We want them to continue to emphasize regenerate church membership and congregational polity. We want them to continue to emphasize and believe in. And we want to we want to provide resources for them to do these things uh, in, in freedom of conscience, religious liberty, etc. So we want uh, our local Baptist churches to be fully Baptist, while also seeing how they're a part of that universal, worldwide, historic church. And in some ways, that's what's distinctive about your vision, and that you want to hold these together really quite tightly but explore the deepening and the enriching of the Baptist tradition through this renewal, this Catholicity that you're talking about. That's right. Uh, we we want to help churches see how the church throughout space and time has given us things like the classic doctrine of the Trinity, classic doctrine of Christology, lots of worship practices that we sort of assume, but uh, you know, we want to help them realize that those worship practices that they're participating in are things that have been done for millennia now. And and we just want to help Baptist churches see how their own Baptist distinctives are part of this renewal movement within the larger body of Christ. Now, can you tell us how the Center for Baptist Renewal came about? How did it get started? Sure. So uh, Luke Stamps, who's also an Alabama boy, he's from Winfield, uh, which is a small town south of Tuscaloosa, that other place in Alabama. Um, he He and I met at California Baptist University in 2012 uh, on faculty there. And just through getting to know each other, fellow Auburn fans, uh, Auburn graduates, we came to realize that we both had a love for more liturgical forms of worship. We had a passion for retrieving interpretive and doctrinal resources uh, from our Christian and Baptist forebears. And so the 2000 14 ETS annual meeting. He and I were fortunate enough to be able to give a paper, which actually I think you were scheduled to give, but I think you had to be in Rome uh, during that meeting on Baptist and the Catholicity of the Church at the uh, the Baptist Studies session at ETS. Just for our and listeners so, who may not know what ETS is, tell us what that stands for. Yeah, that's the Evangelical Theological Society. So it, it meets every year, and it's a society that evangelicals can present academic papers to one another, uh, they can explore issues. And so at this particular meeting in the in the group that studies Baptist life in particular, they had a session on the four marks of the church. It's one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And so Luke and I uh, gave the paper on Baptists and the Catholicity of the church. Around that same time, our, our two other directors for CBR, Brandon Smith and Winston Hotman, uh, had encountered Baptist Catholicity at Criswell College. And so the four of us, they approached us, uh, and the four of us began brainstorming how to promote Baptist Catholicity uh, in 2015. And so basically, over the next year and a half to two years, uh, after we sort of 
got together with the initial idea. We, we were in the planning phases. We began to ask people to be fellows, uh, got the site running, and then finally we were able to launch uh, in early March of this year. And so you have a website. You're largely at this point an online presence, right? That's right, yes. For now, we're, we're mainly a, on, an online presence, uh, blog content so far. Uh, we do we do plan on trying to expand from just the website to other resources as well, but right now we're just the website. So, Matt, tell us about the future of the Center for Baptist Renewal. Where are you going with this movement? Yeah, so we have a number of short-term and long-term goals. Uh, right now, because uh, we're, we've just launched, you know, we're sort of sitting with our online blog presence, but we hope, uh, first of all, to have an in-person lunch or breakfast launch at this year's meeting of the Evangelical Theological Society, which is actually in Providence, Rhode Island, which is where uh, Baptist life began in America. The first Baptist church in North America, we say, right? First Baptist province. That's right. So we're hoping to launch in person uh, at ETS this year. And then we hope to do a few other things. We hope to actually start a podcast uh, where we're going to discuss some of the issues that uh, we're going to talk about today. We hope to, uh, Luke and I hope to write a little booklet on the manifesto where we expand on the points that are in the manifesto on the website. Uh, we hope to, of course, pursue some individual writing projects that we each have that are related to retrieval. So Luke and I both are, are writing on retrieving certain doctrines that have sort of fallen out of fashion these days. And then uh, we hope eventually to have conferences, uh, maybe even a journal. And so, I mean, some of those things will take a while and they may not ever come to fruition. But, uh, you know, Lord willing, those are the kinds of things that we're talking about trying to accomplish with the center. All of which I think will stimulate the kind of renewal at the local congregational church level that you're very much concerned about, I believe. Absolutely, yeah. We want to make sure that we're, we're not having our heads stuck in the clouds. Yeah. Uh, we want this to be something that helps local churches. I mean, at at the bottom level, sort of at the ground level of this thing, uh, our goal is not to just talk to each other about doctrinal issues or about the definition of particular words. Our, our goal is really to help local churches appropriate things that will help them grow and be healthy. Uh, and, we, and we want to help pastors and churches in that. So we don't want this to ever stay at an academic level. Uh, we want academics to bear upon, to help, to encourage local churches. And in particular, if, as one of your fellows, I would give you some advice. Uh, include preaching as a part of that and missions. Those are two things dear to Baptist hearts. So if you can show how Baptist Catholicity enriches preaching and extends the mission of the church, I think you'll be doing great. Absolutely. That's great. That's a great point. Now, I want to talk about some of the specific things you've written about, you and um, your colleagues in the center. Um, and I'll start with two of your articles. You, you have an article called The Benefits of Reading the Creeds Together. Now, we all have heard the expression, there is no creed but the Bible. And some people think that that originated with Baptist and that it stands for the whole Baptist tradition. But you offer a critique of that, and you present a different view of creeds. Say a little bit about that. Yeah, so no creed but the Bible really shouldn't be traced back to Baptist life particularly, but to Alexander Campbell and the Campbellite movement. Um, and 
in fact, early Baptists, both particular, that is, more Calvinistic Baptists and general Baptists, uh, readily affirmed creeds. For instance, in the general Baptist confession called the Orthodox Creed, uh, there's an article in there that very clearly affirms the three ecumenical creeds, that is, the Apostles, the Nicene, and the Athanasian. And there have been many Baptists throughout Baptist history that have uh, been ready to affirm creeds and confessions. And of course, uh, E.Y. Mullins in the 20s saw what was happening in the Northern Baptist Convention and wanted to make sure that Southern Baptists uh, had a way to guard their doctrinal integrity and, and suggested the, the formation and the writing of the Baptist faith and message. So, you know, creeds and confessions are not sort of opposed to Baptist life uh, historically. And then, so to, to say what I would uh, articulate as the benefits of reading the creeds, I mean, creeds and confessions, reading them together as a congregation, uh, it, it helps to teach the church. So creeds and confessions historically have been ways to help Christians, especially newly baptized Christians, to understand the faith that they're confessing. And so reciting these weekly, or however often a local church decides to do that, helps to teach your people uh, what to believe about God and His world and and what He's done in Christ. Uh, It also helps us to center our Bible reading on who God is and what He does. And so it's, it's interpretive. That is, it helps us to read our Bibles in a way that focuses our attention on what really matters, who God is and what He does. And then it also, and this is really particularly important for us at CBR, it also promotes visible Catholicity. That is a visible connection to churches worldwide, because churches worldwide on Sunday are also confessing those same things. And so even when we differ uh, on issues such as baptism, even when we differ on issues such as polity, uh, and again, we want to emphasize that we want Baptist churches to keep their Baptist distinctives, but when we differ on those Baptist distinctives, we still are confessing with other Christians uh, these same truths that are found in uh, the historic creeds and confessions of the Church. And so we feel like it teaches the people uh, in our local churches, it helps them to interpret their Bible, and it also just promotes visible unity with other Christians worldwide. Yeah, I've often thought of the creeds as, as not a, certainly not a substitute for the Bible and, and not on the equal level with the Bible, but in some ways as a faithful summary of the Bible. It's a way of declaring the, the pattern of redemption that we read in the Bible, and it constitutes the heart of what the New Testament calls the faith once delivered to the saints. And certainly good Baptists who believe the Bible ought to be able to affirm those uh, great uh, truths of the gospel. Hmm. So thank you for that emphasis on creeds. I think it's a wonderful thing and something we that I find is coming back now. You know, in some ways, I, I, I think uh, the work of the Center for Baptist Renewal has to be seen in a broader context. Uh, there are other people and other voices out there uh, who are saying not exactly the same thing and not from the same place as you, but in similar ways. I, th- I think of my friends Scott Swain and Michael Allen who are at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, or my friends, um, uh, people like Steve Harmon, uh, who teaches at, at uh, Baptist College in uh, North Carolina, or Curtis Freeman, who's at Duke, and others who've written about Baptist Catholicity 
and in particular a recovery of the creedal and liturgical life of the church. And it seems to me that this is happening in a number of different places today. And I, I see your effort in a way as uh, being a distinctive voice within that broader what do you think about that analysis? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that you definitely see emphases on recovering doctrinal history, on recovering more liturgical forms of worship. I, I think that you see that from a variety of denominational perspectives. Uh, you have, you know, both the sort of uh, theologically differentiated Episcopals, I'll say that as best I can, from, say, conservative Anglicans. But both both groups are sort of trying to recover their emphasis on historic liturgy at this point in time. Uh, as you mentioned, there is another group of Baptists that have been working on this for quite some time now, uh, led by Steve Harmon and Curtis Freeman. You've got Presbyterians working on a Reformed Catholicity. And so this is not something that's unique to us. You know, on the site, when we mention this, we particularly mention Steve Harmon and Curtis Freeman because they're fellow Baptists with mm-hmm. us and, 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 have, and have been an inspiration to us in some ways um, in terms of Baptist Catholicity. Um, and so what we want to say is we appreciate the work that they've done because we also have a similar desire to retrieve uh, the resources of the Church from our, from our past but we also want to make clear that we're not approaching this from exactly the same direction as them. Yeah. And and part of Catholicity is being clear about our differences, you know. And so, uh, you know, one of the main differences we have with uh, Steve and Curtis is that, uh, you know, they're approaching biblical authority. They're approaching uh, even creedal authority and those other kinds of things from uh, a, a different theological perspective than we are as conservative evangelicals. We want to very clearly begin with the inerrancy and inspiration of Scripture. We want to very clearly begin with the, the Bible's exclusive authority uh, and those sorts of things. And, and they're, they're coming at it from a bit of a different theological trajectory. And so this is definitely a movement that's happening elsewhere, but we still feel like what we're doing is, is, mm-hmm. is unique mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that to our knowledge, in North America, uh, this center is providing sort of the the, um, the segue into a, a particularly conservative evangelical approach to Baptist mm-hmm. Catholicity. And obviously, you and and others have been working on this for quite some time, and I, so I don't want to say that we've started it by any means. Um, we haven't. We're, we're building off of the you know we're, we're standing on the shoulders of giants like you in, in this task. Um, but it is different from sort of the uh, published attempts by Steve and others uh, in, in some theological ways. Another person you at least make a reference to, another one of my former students, Barry Harvey, who teaches at Baylor University in his book, Can These right. Bones Live? A Catholic Baptist Engagement with Ecclesiology, Hermeneutics, and Social Theory. So he's another voice out there that's uh, articulating some of these same kinds of things, as is Jamie Smith. He's not a Baptist, but has written along these uh, these lines as well from his own tradition, the more Reformed, uh, uh, Dutch Reformed kind of background tradition. So I think it's a good thing that this is this voice, this this uh, vision maybe is coming from different quadrants within the body of Christ, not exactly echoing one another, each having its own distinctive uh, voice to bear, and hopefully somewhere along the way, you know, there can be dialogue across these confessions as well. 
that's a part of Catholicity Absolutely. too, isn't it? Yes, definitely. And and Luke and I have had not I wouldn't say regular contact, but we've had a number of conversations uh, with particularly Steve Harmon and Curtis Freeman as we've been trying to work on the center and write about Baptist Catholicity. And so uh, while we while all four of us are on the same page as far as where we disagree, we're all, we've also been encouraged by one another. Uh, and, and helped by one another. At least I, I and Luke have been encouraged by Steve and, and Curtis. And so, um, you know, we're very clear on where we we're, we're on where we differ, um, but we also can uh, see areas where we agree and where we're on the, the same uh, trajectory in terms of our goals and vision. So, yeah, Catholicity begins by being honest and, and also by talking to each other. Now, we, we've talked about particularly the role of creeds and how important they are catechetically, hermeneutically. I wonder if you would say a little bit more about the liturgical life, because that's another word you use, a liturgy, that's not commonly used among a lot of Baptist churches these days. But you use it in a very positive way. And what do you mean about the practicality of the liturgical life? That's an article you wrote. Well, you just mentioned Jamie Smith, and part of Jamie Smith's project has been to show the positive and really fundamental work of habits in in the Christian life. And he, he focuses on uh, habits particular to the church's worship practices, but he also has in mind sort of a broader broader use of the term liturgy that, that is daily life and that's related to higher education and things like that. But what, what particularly helps us when we talk about Jamie Smith's work is that, you know, the habits that we have, uh, not just on Sunday morning as we gather together, but but particularly on Sunday morning as we gather gather together, is that they're forming and shaping our identity in Christ. Repeated practices, repeated habits uh, form and shape us in a way that helps us to respond Christianly in the world. And so when we talk about liturgy, all we, all we mean by that phrase, all we mean by that term is repeated worship practices, so the things you do each week on Sunday morning, and we think that uh, it's very important for pastors and congregations to be very intentional and to be be very discerning about what things they repeat and what things they don't. And at the end of the day, our goal is not to, and even if we wanted to do this, we couldn't because of Baptist polity, but I want to say clearly our goal is not to tell other Baptist churches what they have to and don't have to do on a Sunday morning. We, I mean, at, at, our, at a very basic level, what we really just want to say is what you repeat is important. So think about it. Uh, and if, and if pastors and local churches come to different conclusions than us about what needs to be repeated and what doesn't need to be repeated on a Sunday morning, that's fine. We just, we just want, um, we want local Baptist churches to be discerning about what they repeat and don't repeat. But on a more positive note, um, we want to say that particular liturgical pieces like uh, having the Lord's Supper weekly, like having a time of confession weekly, like having a benediction that sends us out on mission. Because as you said, mission is a, is a, is a, very clear way that we can say this is part of Baptist life. I mean, the benediction is intended to send us out to mission each week. Uh, those kinds of additions that churches may not have right now, weekly Lord's Supper, weekly time of confession, uh, a weekly benediction, we, we just want to say, here's why we think these might be beneficial to you. 
And then, of course, it's up to that local Baptist church to decide if they think it is beneficial for them or not. We just want to say, let's think about these things. Here's why we we think these are beneficial, and then let local Baptist churches uh, decide what they want to do with that. Now, your fellow uh, leader, I guess, with the Center for Baptist Renewal is Luke Stamps, and you mentioned him. He teaches at California Baptist University. and He He does. He wrote an article called Considering the Church Calendar. Uh, I have noted myself among Baptists and other free church people a growing acceptance of things like the celebration of Advent and Lent. So what about the church calendar? What would be the point that, to be made about re- reconsidering that? Well, I think that, you know, at a basic level, um, most churches have a, have an implicit calendar. And it, it's it's in the sense that I, I can't think of a church that I've ever been a part of that doesn't celebrate, celebrate at least Christmas and Easter. Uh, and so there are at least two days in the year that churches, along with other churches everywhere, celebrate together, Christmas and Easter. And so when we talk about the church calendar, uh, this is one of those traditional worship practices that we want to try to explain from a Baptist perspective and then say why it might be beneficial for a local Baptist church to adopt. Again, we're not trying to say they should or they have to uh, in order to be faithful, but just well, let's think about this and see what the benefit might be. And for us, the benefit of the church calendar is that it focuses the Christian year on the person and work of Christ. That's, not, that's of course, not to say that people who don't use the calendar aren't focused on the person and work, but it walks you through, the church calendar walks you through uh, the, the entirety of the gospel narrative from incarnation and birth to uh Death and Resurrection, Pentecost, Ascension, uh, Ascension and Pentecost, and then uh, and then to Trinity Sunday, where you get to ordinary time, and that we think that's beneficial for Christians to have their year. In other words, their their calendar, their internal calendar, is set up to focus on the the life and work of Jesus. And of course, that gives you six months to do that because Advent to uh, Trinity Sunday is, is about six months. And then you get six months of ordinary time where uh, churches can decide what they want to preach on. They can, of course, use the lectionary to decide what they're going to preach through that six months, or they can just uh, do you know, what's called a continual reading where they're preaching through a particular book of the Bible. We don't want to get rid of a expository preaching, firm expository preaching. Uh, we think it is the best way to approach preaching. Uh, for your people, and so we don't we don't want this to be contrary to an, a focus on expository preaching. But we just want to say, listen, you know, we think that preaching expositorily through a gospel and getting to Pentecost each year for six months would be beneficial for your people. And then uh, ordinary time where you're looking forward to Advent would be beneficial for your people as well. Another one of your fellow travelers, a fine young, superb writer, is Brandon Smith. And uh, Brandon has written an article on the Lord's Supper, More Than a Memory. Uh, That's a wonderful note, but not one I would expect to come from a lot of Baptists today. So what's the point there? More than a memory. So for Baptists, the emphasis on the Lord's Supper has typically been that it is a memorial, that we are looking back to what Christ has done or remembering his death and resurrection 
on our behalf, and we absolutely want to affirm that it is a memorial, that it does remember what Jesus does. But we also want to point out that there are various places in the New Testament where the Lord's Supper is spoken of in in more than memorial terms, particularly in 1 Corinthians 10, where partaking of the the bread and the vine is participation in the body and blood of Christ. So the, the term that's used there is koinonia, fellowship, union, uh, uh, participation with Christ. And it's the same, it says the same thing about us, that as we eat the bread and drink the cup, that we also are participating, fellowshipping with one another. And so we just want to say that Christ, because the supper is a gospel proclamation, it is a visible proclamation, just like the sermon is a verbal proclamation of the gospel, Christ works in his people through the supper. Uh, They are seeing the gospel in seeing and taking the supper. And so we want to say that Jesus works through that by his spirit, because he's being proclaimed in it. He he works in it particularly, as 1 Corinthians 10 says, to uh, build fellowship both with him and with each other. And so we think it's beneficial for Christians to think about not just uh, remembering what Jesus has done, but what he's doing right now in taking that bread and drinking that cup. When you and Luke Stamps uh, inaugurated the Center for Baptist Renewal, you issued a manifesto, a declaration, I guess, uh, Mm -hmm. which consists of 11 different affirmations. We don't have time to go through all those, uh, but I'm sure that this is available online, right, on your website? It is, yeah. The website is just centerforbaptistrenewal.com, and then uh, if you hover over the About tab, uh, there's uh, a link to Evangelical Baptist Catholicity and Manifesto. So I would encourage our listeners to go and check this out. It's, it's a wonderful statement and includes a number of the things we've been talking about as well as others. And one of the things you said in that statement that impressed me, in fact, I'm going to read it. It's, it's Article 6. We affirm that all people, regardless of race, ethnicity, or gender, are created in God's image. And if they have repented and believed in Christ, are brothers and sisters in the one body of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Because of this shared imago dei and because of Christ's saving work among all peoples, nations, we believe one major task of Baptist Catholicity is to promote racial unity, especially within the body of Christ. So um, racial reconciliation is a very important, a major plank of what you're about as an expression of Catholicity, isn't it? Absolutely. And and we think that having an appropriate vision of Catholicity can't happen unless we include racial reconciliation in that vision, especially since racial reconciliation is in some ways at the very heart of what Christ has done in the gospel work, according to Ephesians 2, where he breaks down the dividing wall of hostility between races and ethnicities. And so in, a, in an American context, we want to say also that in many ways Catholicity has to begin with racial reconciliation, given uh, not only the history of our nation, but also the history of our own Southern Baptist Convention. My guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Dr. Matthew Emerson. He, along with Luke Stamps, helped by Brandon Smith and others, have begun the Center for Baptist Renewal. We've been talking about that new initiative, which was launched this past spring, and you can read about it on their website. I encourage you to check it out. You're going to hear more from this group of 
devout and deeply committed Baptist Christians who are seeking to advance a vision of Baptist Catholicity. Thank you, Matt, for this conversation today. Thanks for having having me. I've really appreciated it. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.